0: this. I realize that some of you are fighting for your lives. And so what we're about to do is not like just fill 40 minutes with somebody up here talking, but there are realities happening that are of eternal significance. And so I want to encourage us this morning Would you you hear from God? You know, the verse I almost always pray before I preach is the one from the book of Psalms, and it just simply says this, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. I'm praying a little bit today that you would walk away with a sense of wonder. Not that I'm awesome or that good of a preacher. I'm a solid B plus, right? But God is awesome, and the work of Jesus Christ is wondrous. So I just pray, like, in unique ways, God would press this in. Second thing I'm, like, acutely aware of is, like, we we all kind of, as preachers, have our, our bully pulpits in one thing, like, things we love to run towards. For me, this is it. Like, if there's, like, an epitaph on my... Grave, Like, I would hope that, like, this message, this concept, that the gospel, we never outgrow it, um, would be just kind of over all of my life. And so I pray that you would today put on your theological thinking caps. I do need you to aim your brain, because some of these concepts are a little bit challenging today, and I'm going to go fast. Um, I need you to think hard, but I think if you will, God will meet you uniquely today, because I think— he has a word for us this morning. So can we all just like lean in just a little bit today and say, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Would you maybe even pray that right now as I pray? Father, we need you. We sang it. You are our one defense. You are our righteousness. So we come not in our strength. We come in the strength of one Who went in our behalf Lord, it is through Jesus It is for Jesus It is in his name that we gather today Lord, speak to your people Get me out of the way Hide me behind the cross In the name of Christ, I pray Amen When a company gets ready to manufacture a new product it usually starts with a two-dimensional drawing that they often call concept art. Have you seen this before? Like before a new automobile will hit the market or before a new building is built or before a new toy comes out, they have this detailed kind of artistic drawing and and the skill that it takes to make those things are really amazing. I mean, they're really cool looking. Um, You kind of look at that and you're like, wow, that's maybe what it will look like when the finished product is done. But before a company or an architectural firm or anybody takes something to market, they take another phase. They move from the two-dimensional drawing and will usually create a 3D model of the product that they want to put out. So they make this little model of a, of a building or they make a model of a car or a model of a toy. And that way, the, the, those that are getting ready to market it can take a look at it from every angle. You know, they want to move beyond just a two-dimensional understanding of their product and move to a 3D view so they can really see the various nuances and the beauty and maybe even the deficiencies in the thing that they have. I bring that up this morning because I think, in a sense, that is what the Apostle Paul is doing with the gospel. He's trying to move the Galatian believers and us, by extension, away from a 2D surface-level understanding of a gospel into a 3D, three-dimensional understanding of the gospel. It's kind of like Paul is walking around the gospel with the Galatians and with us, and he's pointing at it, and he's, he's saying, have you seen this? Have you taken a look over here? Maybe you didn't see over here. I want you to see every angle and every nuance of the gospel because it speaks powerfully to what the Lord wants to do in your life. I kind of envision Paul saying to the Galatians as he's pointing at the gospel from all these different angles, the words that he writes in Ephesians chapter 3, I am praying that you are able to comprehend the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. He really wants them to move from this superficial understanding to the, of the gospel to a 3D understanding of the gospel. And I think the reason Paul does that is because he's urging us to understand that affirmation of the gospel is meant to lead us to adoration of the Savior. Let me say that again. Affirmation of the gospel should lead us to adoration of the Savior. The good news of Jesus is meant to drive us to worship, to wonder, to amazement. The Gospel is not good information you should know. Good information, you should know that. It's good news. It's the war is over. It's you have been set at liberty. It's Christ has victoriously risen from the day grave. It's you are saved. It's on the corner shouting it out. Extra, extra! Read all about it. I have good news for you—not good information that you should know. The gospel is good news, and it is meant to drive us to a sense of awe at the person and work of Christ. But here's the reality. Even well-meaning, sincere, church-going folk like you and I often undervalue the work of Jesus. If I could put it very plainly, the gospel often rests lightly on my shoulders. Let me encourage you to ask yourself a few diagnostic questions and maybe you're in the same boat of me, as me. When was the last time that you were so overwhelmed by the love of God, that there were tears in your eyes? When were you last so moved by the gospel that you just had to sing? Maybe badly, but you had to sing. When was the last time you were so filled with thankfulness to Jesus that you couldn't even speak? Perhaps many of us would have to answer these questions when, with, it's been a really long time. Or maybe, you know what? That level of affectation by the gospel, I've never experienced before. I've never been so moved by the love of God, by the work of Jesus, that I couldn't speak, or there were tears in my eyes, or I was overwhelmed. So why is this the case? Why is it sometimes that we are just unaffected by the greatest news in the world? I think it is because all of us, myself included, are guilty of undervaluing the work of Jesus. That is, we come to understand the basic message of the gospel, which is Christ died for us. Say that with me. It's a very simple message. We come to understand Christ died for us, and then we're like, well, got that down, what's next? I have become a master of the gospel, because if you said to me, what is the gospel, I would say, Christ died for us, I've got it, let's move on to bigger and better things. However, if that is your level of understanding the gospel, if that is all that you understand of the work of Christ, then friends, you are just scratching the surface. It's true, it's true, it's real, it's authentic, but it's not the whole enchilada. There is so much more to the work of Christ on behalf of sinners like you and me. Let me give you a very silly illustration right now. Let's say someone were to ask me, Ryan, do you play the piano? And I said, but of course, yes, I do. And I strolled over here to the piano and I did something like this. I know, right? Right, yeah. Now get ready for this next part. It's hard. I'm gonna stretch with my pinky. Oh! Big finale coming up right now. again a tricky part right here Yes thank you thank you Do I play the piano? I guess technically I just played a song on the piano. On the other hand, if I was to say um Alejandro, do you play the piano? And he said, "Well, sure." And so he came up and did something maybe like this. I mean, that was fine, yeah. (laughs) I mean, technically, we just played the same song, right? But Alejandro is a master, and I am the most basic of beginners. Now, why do I bring that up? Because some of us, all we're doing with the gospel is we're pecking it out on the keyboard. And there's so much more to the work of Jesus then Mary had a little lamb And we're content We're content with our superficial Surface level understanding Of what Christ has done on our behalf That was a problem It's a problem in our life And it was a problem in Galatia as well You see the Galatians They had heard the gospel They really knew the gospel it had been proclaimed to them, and yet the moment that false teachers came to town, what happened? They're swept up in the air. Why? Because their grip on the gospel was not as firm as they thought it was. They couldn't improvise at all. All they knew were the basic notes, and it was really easy for them to miss a note or get distracted or move on from the work of Christ because they really hadn't come to master the gospel. And Paul rep- repeatedly is saying to them look you've got to go deeper into the gospel don't move on from it Galatians chapter 2 verse number 5 but we did not give up and submit to these false teachers for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved among you or Galatians chapter 3 verse number 3 are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit the work of the gospel and now you are finishing by the flesh Paul is adamant that just because we've heard the gospel once, just because we can play the basic notes of the gospel, doesn't mean that we have understand all the nuance of the gospel and how it should be applied to our life. So we must remember this, friends. While the essence of the gospel is uncomplicated, the applications of the gospel are unlimited. While the essence of the gospel is uncomplicated, Christ died for our sins, the applications of the gospel are unlimited. Some of us don't have any pop in our Christian life, don't have any victory over sin, don't have any transformative Holy Spirit work in our lives because we are pecking out Mary had a little lamb. And we have not explored the nuances of the gospel Listen, you gotta start with pecking out Mary Had a Little Lamb That is good, and I'm glad if you have begun there But don't stay there, don't be like Ryan, be like Alejandro Write that down (laughs) What the Galatians, and what we need to remember Is that just because we have heard the gospel clearly Which if you come to this church, you do Just because you're a member of a church, just because you grew up in Sunday school, just because your granddaddy was a preacher, does not mean that you have arrived in your application of the gospel. We are always pressing deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel, and we never get to the bottom of it. Here's my point this morning. We must grow in our application of the gospel and our amazement of the gospel. I'm sorry, application of the gospel and amazement at the gospel. We must grow in our application of the gospel and our amazement at the gospel. How many of you you know what a Swiss army knife is? is? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, Swiss army knife has tons of different tools on it. And I would say we should think about the gospel in a sense like a Swiss army knife. It has all kinds of Edges at it were all kinds of tools that are part of it that meant to speak to different Aspects of our walk with the Lord and sometimes all we do is we just use the blade. That's it Well, no, God's given you this wonderful tool of the gospel that's meant to be applied in various ways in your life. It has all kinds of applications, all kinds of functions that are supposed to work out in our lives. So we need to move on from a a single knife understanding of the gospel to a Swiss army knife, a Leatherman, a, you know, that's the more modern version of the Swiss army knife, to this tool that has all kinds of functions. So you might ask the question, okay, how do I start applying the gospel to my life, and how do I become amazed by the gospel? I think Paul answers that question in this passage by calling the Galatian believers and us, by extension, to take another look at the gospel. Okay, stop, stop for a moment. Had the Galatians heard the gospel, yes or no? Yes. But, but in Paul's arguments with them, he's saying, hey, you've heard the gospel. Well, what happens? You've, you've moved on. You've added to it. You're not clinging to it. So he's not necessarily saying, like, you don't know what the gospel is, but I think what he is saying is you're not looking carefully enough. I've given you the proper tool, but you haven't seen all the various applications of the gospel to your life. Let me say it this way, very simply. Gospel application and gospel amazement, listen, comes through gospel analysis. Gospel application and gospel amazement comes through gospel analysis. In other words, you will never really apply the gospel. You will never really be amazed by the gospel if you just take a cursory glance at it. Apostle Paul calls the gospel the unsearchable riches of Christ. What does that metaphor seem to imply? It seems to imply that no matter how far, how much you examine it, what are you going to do? You're going to find more riches in it. You're going to find more bounty in it. The gospel is literally unfathomable. You can't get to the bottom of the work of Christ. There are so many nuances. There are so many applications of what Christ has done on behalf of sinners that the only way that we are amazed at the gospel and are able to apply the gospel in all kinds of areas in our life is by looking carefully at the gospel. Remember the opening image, this 3D image. Paul is saying to the Galatians, let's look again. You're missing something here. The work of Christ has implications and ramifications for how you're living right now. And these false teachers are tempting you to move away from the gospel. Look again at the gospel. Look again. You're missing the way that the work of Christ speaks to your current situation. So what I want to do right now in the next few moments is show two ways where Paul urges the Galatians to look again. He gives them two aspects of the amazingly applicable gospel. All right, that's what I want to show you this morning. Number one, Paul is showing the Galatians and us that Jesus is the healer of the curse. Now, I told you, you got to put your theological thinking caps on here. Remember, the Galatians were being tempted to believe that their salvation was achieved by Jesus plus law-keeping. Like they were saying, okay, Jesus is good, we need him, but in order to be really accepted by God, we need to also keep the law. So to debunk this argument, Paul reminds the Galatians of the Old Testament to which they're referring. He goes to the law itself to disprove their claims. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse number 10. It is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is, what's it say? cursed this is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse number 26 and he is giving a reminder here that he says look if you're going to put your confidence in the law for your salvation and you're keeping the law for your salvation you better be a really good law keeper because if you don't keep the law that you are saying is going to bring you salvation you are under a what curse here's the problem none of us are really that good at keeping the law i mean look we all have good days and we all have what anybody have a bad day this week anybody have a true confession bad day this morning okay you are in the midst of a bad day all right right we all have good days where we're like yeah i'm walking with the lord and then we have days and we're like i am not walking with the lord but here's the reality Not only do we have good days and bad days, but even our good days are not perfect days, are they? I mean, your best day, if God evaluated you on the standard of you, your very best day. Let me quote the great theologian, Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? Not well, right? I mean, there has never been a day, like, I'm like, man, if I can go like 30 seconds without sinning, I'm rolling. I don't know about you, my heart's all over the place. I'm like the most selfish person I know. I love me some me. I think about me all the time. And you think about you all the time. You know, people that do this are not the only narcissists in the world. This just exposes our narcissism, right? It's right here in all of us. So, okay, we have good days, we have bad days. Okay, that's bad. And even our good days are not perfect days. So what does that mean? At the end of the day, we all know something's wrong with us. Do you feel that? Do you feel it? Like deep in your knower, like way down in your gut, do you ever look in the mirror and you're like, what is wrong with me? We all ask that question. And friends, it's because something is wrong with you. I don't want to sugarcoat. I mean, that's the biblical reality. Like, something is broken in all of us. In a sense, every single one of us, because of sin, is cursed. We've got a problem. We're deeply broken. That is part of the human experience. We are all under a curse. And therefore, it should come as no surprise that the Bible says that everybody doesn't keep the whole law, you are under a curse. And this is where Paul turns the corner. He starts to show us the Swiss Army knife of the gospel. He wants to remind the Galatians and the rest of us of the beautiful nuances of the gospel. Because here's the thing, friends. Listen, listen. Jesus did come to take us to heaven. To heaven. Amen. Is that true? Amen. Jesus did come to forgive our sins. Is that true? Amen. Jesus did come to adopt us into God's family, is that true? Jesus did come to be our savior and redeemer, is that true? All wonderfully true, but here's the other reality, Jesus' work also cured the curse. He's the great curse breaker, and that's what the Galatians were not realizing. They were like, we're going to keep the law, and Paul's like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, you're not going to keep the law, and you're under the curse. And by the way, there is one who came to take care of that cursed condition, and it's not by you trying harder to keep the law. Look at verse number 13. How does Jesus do this? Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Amen. (laughs) Amen. But how is that possible? Because if anybody was not cursed, was uncursed, as it were, it's Jesus. Because if you're cursed by not keeping the law, the reverse, the implication is true, right? If you do keep the law, then you are not, what? Cursed. Jesus kept the law perfectly. So how did the uncursed one become a curse for us? Great question. Huh. And this is where the Lord is awesome. So thousands of years, thousands of years, before Christ came as a man, and was born in that stable, and went to the cross, God was beginning to enact his plan to give us the beautiful multi-dimensional gospel. So through Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, God basically said to Moses, write this down. Deuteronomy 21, verse number 23. Anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. Now, come on. I imagine Moses is writing at this point, and he's like, anyone under a tree is under God's curse. All right, Lord. Whatever. You're God. Like, this detail just seemed like totally inconsequential. Like, why even put this in there? Because the Lord is playing the long game, y'all. The Lord is like Moses. You write this down, because one day, you know this curse that all of you feel. My perfect Son is going to come into the world, and he's got going to die by drowning. He's not going to by, die by hanging. He's got to die by having his head chopped off. He is going to die on a tree. Because I want to set you free from the curse. God is outlining this master plan of salvation and saying, I'm going to rescue my people in ways that they maybe even don't even know that they need rescued from. Jesus is, is our savior. Praise God. Jesus is our redeemer. Praise God. Jesus is the son of God. Praise God. Jesus is the light of the world. Praise God. But he's also the curse breaker. And you don't get that by pecking out Mary had a little lamb. You got to look a little carefully. You got to dig a little deeper into the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the only reason we don't do it is because we don't value the gospel. We don't believe that the gospel is what God says it is. God says it is a treasure that must be mined And we must get every single nugget out of it And you don't see it if you just take a glance at it On the night before Jesus died You know his famous prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane Father, please take this what? Cup from me If you read through the Old Testament The cup was often a reference to the wrath of God And in a sense... As Jesus went to the cross, he took this poisoned, cursed cup and he put it to his lips. And the Bible tells us that he drank it down to the dregs. He took every last drop of the curse that was ours. Jesus took the prince's poisoned cup in his hand and drank it for you and I. And the reality of this is unbelievable because it means this, there is no wrath of God left for the people of God because Jesus took every last drop. He broke the curse. The Galatians thought they needed the law. We got to shore up the gospel. We need a little addition to the gospel, an amendment to the gospel. Their problem was not that they were not righteous in God's sights through trusting in Jesus. Their problem was they really didn't understand the full implications of the work of Christ on their behalf. The problem was them, not the gospel. We need to be applying and amazed by the gospel by pressing deeper and deeper into the work of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is not just the healer. Of the curse He is also the heir of Abraham I love this one Remember the Galatians Part of their error was they were priding themselves In one sense on their Jewishness They were They were doing all these Jewishy things To try to show that hey We're the real heirs of Abraham So they're keeping the Jewish customs They're keeping the Jewish laws And Paul comes in and says "Look and, Listen y'all You don't need to do those things. You don't need to kind of align yourself to a particular ethnicity. You're misunderstanding the point here. But the thing is, the Galatians had good reason for wanting to align themselves with Abraham and the nation of Israel. Because the Old Testament is loaded with promises like this. Genesis chapter 22, verse number 18. And in your offspring, Abraham... In your offspring, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So these Galatians are like, we want in on that. We want to be kind of Jewish. We want to align ourselves with Abraham so that we are the recipients of all of these promises to Abraham. But Paul seeks to disabuse these Galatians of their wrong view by doing a little grammatical jujitsu. Look at verse 16. Now you got to track. I told you you got to think here today. You got to think. Galatians 3, verse number 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his. What's it say? What's it say? Get that word. All the letters of the word. Got them? It does not say to his. Offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, singular again, who is, what's it say? Okay. In other words, the true offspring of Abraham, the true heir of the promise was not the ethnic nation of Israel, but rather Jesus Christ. Here's the implication. All the promises that God made to Abraham, the possession of the promised land together, forever, Abraham's offspring would be blessed by God. That Abraham's offspring, all the world would be blessed through them. They do not come, listen, as the Galatians believed, They do not come by being ethnically or culturally Jewish, but they rather flow through faith in Christ. I, I need you to hang on with me here. I'm getting somewhere. A person, therefore, does not become a recipient of the promises of Abraham by being born in a particular place or being born to a particular family. The blessings of Abraham come to those who are in a sense in lawed to Abraham through Christ. Paul says this explicitly in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 29. Look there, look at what it says. If you are Christ, here it is, then you are Abraham's. There it is again, and heirs according to the promise. This is mind-blowing. If you trust in Jesus, the heir of Abraham is you. At the turn of the 19th century, an amazing human invention was created, or an innovation. Um, it, was, it was called the Panama Canal. So, prior to the panama canal if you wanted to get from the atlantic ocean to the pacific ocean or the pacific ocean to the atlantic ocean uh, over here and by north and south america you had to go all the way around south america or all the way up and over through the arctic circle uh, to get around i mean it was a very circuitous journey so some engineers discovered you know what there's only 50 miles only 50 miles Of land here in this narrow part of Panama And we can dig a canal that gets us from the Atlantic to the Pacific So they did that And so now a ship's passage time was like completely cut down I mean, it became minuscule in terms of what it used to take Well, I want you to get that image in your mind In one sense, the Atlantic Ocean All the vast waters of the Atlantic Flow through this narrow inlet to the Pacific Through the Panama Canal And I think in a sense, that's exactly what Jesus does by being the heir of Abraham. What do I mean? All the wonderful promises of the Old Testament, all of that wonderful promises that God makes to his people flow to the isthmus of Christ in one sense and find their promise and their fulfillment in them and therefore they flow in their fulfillment to us. As it says in the book of Second Corinthians, all the promises find their yes and amen in, you know what it says? It's up on the stage, screen. Christ, okay, good guess, yeah. You're the worst class I've ever had, right? So all these promises come to you and I through Jesus. Because the promise is not made to the offspring, plural, but to the offspring, singular, the person and work of Christ. What does this mean? It means all, as Peter says, all the exceeding and great and precious promises are ours. Promises like Zephaniah chapter 3 verse number 17, he, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will delight in you with singing. That promise, if you've trusted in Jesus, it's yours. It's yours. The God of heaven will sing over you. I mean, can you imagine that? The God of heaven will sing over you because of Christ. Or Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 1 through 3. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you when the rivers will not overwhelm you, when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and when the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. Listen, listen, that is your promise if you have trusted in Christ. That is yours. If, if you belong to Jesus, the promises belong to you. I mean, this changes the way you look at the Bible. All of a sudden, all of these promises become so precious to you because they flow through Christ. They flow through the true heir of Abraham and to his people, and we are able to hang to them. What the Galatians failed to believe is that the problem was not with the gospel. The problem was with them and their shallow and superficial understanding of the gospel. They were working hard to be really Jewish. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. The way you become an heir of Abraham is by putting your faith in the true heir of Abraham, in Jesus Christ. And therefore, all the promises find their yes and amen in him to you. That is good news for us. Now, what is this? Well, these are just two little object lessons, friends. Like, these are just two, this is an illustration of what I'm trying to say. Like, we can't, we can't remain in this superficial understanding of the gospel. Paul's like, oh, Galatians, you've got these problems. Let me bring the work of Christ to bear on your life. Church, you got problems. You need to learn to bring the Word of God, the the work of Jesus Christ to bear on your life. If the gospel can speak to this situation, it can speak to so many situations in your life as well. The error that the Galatians were tempted to make was to undervalue the gospel. Yes, they had heard of the work of Christ. And that's the danger of living in the South, by the way. We've all heard of the work of Jesus in some sense, but that doesn't mean we've come to grips with the ability to apply it. It doesn't mean we're amazed by it. We need to freshly see the work of Christ so we don't undervalue what is right in front of us. Any Antiques Roadshow fans here? Okay, just Caleb. All right. Right, I wouldn't have expected that, bro, but okay, all right. Uh, back in 2012, um, over in England, Antique Roadshow came to town, and a, uh, a school had this paperweight that had been sitting on their desk. Here it is. It's just sitting on a desk in a classroom, and they're like, wow, it's a really interesting paperweight, but it's been sitting here for years. Well, they noticed a little inscription on the bottom, but they didn't necessarily understand what it meant, so they took it to the Antiques Roadshow, and, and they said, you know what, you guys know what this is, and it comes to find out, this was a sculpture by Barbara Hempworth, and the Roadshow valued it at $981,000, nearly a million bucks, and they have been using it for a paperweight. In other words, they failed to value what was right in front of them. Friends, let us not be said of us that the Lord has delivered us the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we fail to value what is right in front of us. We fail to explore its worth and value. We fail to see its beauty. We fail to be amazed at it. We fail to learn to apply it to our lives. So i want to close today and challenge us to respond to God this morning. And I wanna challenge you to respond in just a couple of ways. Why don't you ask yourself these two questions. Am I applying the gospel? Have I learned in my life to take the work of Christ and apply it to my life in significant ways? Or have I kind of tried to move on to bigger and better things? I've been there, done that. I've moved on from the work of Jesus. I, I, I'm good. You know, I'm saved. Maybe I'm save-saved. I am saved, saved i do not need the gospel that much. Maybe you wouldn't articulate it that way, but really that's what's going on in your life. The work of Jesus Christ has little relevance to your day-to-day life. Second question I would ask is, are you amazed by the gospel? I mean, has the gospel really wrecked you? Like, is there a sense in your heart where, man, the work of Christ is the most precious thing to you and you are daily, daily, amazed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Are you moved by that reality on a regular basis? Or if you're honest with yourself, have you grown a little cold toward the Savior? Yeah, he's there. He's a little distant. He's a little estranged. Because you really haven't pressed deeply into his work on your behalf. So what I'm going to invite you to do right now is to gather with some people around you. If you feel comfortable doing that, great. If you want to pray by yourself, that's fine. But I'm going to invite you to a time of prayer and you're just going to answer this question. Do you need to apply the gospel or do you need to be amazed by the gospel? And we just share with the folks around you and maybe say, hey, I need to be amazed by the gospel. Would you pray for me? Hey, I need to apply the gospel to my life. Would you pray for me? You don't have to get into details if you don't want to, but I want to encourage you right now. Let's seek the Lord together. Lord, I need to be amazed by your work. Lord, I want to apply your work. And let's be a body. Let's be the body of Christ and begin to fight for that. So gather with some folks around you and answer that question. Do you need to be amazed by the gospel or do you need to apply for the gospel? Pray quietly there with one another and then we'll worship the Lord in a moment together. We do come and we ask that you would help us to carefully look at the work of Jesus on our behalf. And that would drive us to a sense of amazement. Lord, Father, I pray that you would help us to look closely at the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf so that we would apply the edges of the gospel to our life. Help us not to be elementary in our understanding of your work but to press deeply into the unsearchable riches of Christ. We need you in the name of Christ we pray, amen. So maybe you hear that and you say, man, Ryan, I I need to grow in my application and my amazement at the gospel. How do I do that? Let me give you two very practical steps as we close. First thing is this, study the gospel. I mean, some of you have been like very successful in your careers, you've got advanced degrees in stuff. You know how to aim your brain and study. And yet so often we just glance at the gospel. Just take a quick glance at it and move on. Let's explore the depths of the riches of God. Aim your mind. This, this is on the test, friends. There's lots of things that aren't on the test. This is on the test. So let's be people that roll up our sleeves and get in the book and particularly get centered on what Jesus has done on behalf of sinners do you know what redemption means? do you know what regeneration means? do you know what justification means? do you know what adoption means? do you know what reconciliation means? do you know what what all of these things mean? if you don't, find out! get the word open mark it up, do what you got to do but dive in to God's word if you need help with knowing where to start, man, please see one of the pastors, we'd love to talk to you about that. See your community group leader, we would love to talk to you about that. But let's be people who are subject matter experts in the gospel. Right? That, that is on the test, brothers and sisters. Let us dig deeply into the work of Christ. Second, let's sing the gospel. Um, if I had a soapbox right now, I'd get up on it. You you know what we do when we come together and sing? It's kind of weird. Like there's not like other places where people like get together at sing unless you're like drunk at a soccer game over in Europe, right? But like in church, we like weekly come together and sing. Like there's nowhere else that stuff like that happens. Why? I think God brought that, built that into the rhythm of the life of the people of God because he knows that we have really short-term memories we need to remember, we need to remind ourselves by singing of what Jesus had done on our behalf. And we live in this era where there's so many wonderful songs about Jesus and His love and His work. So we need to sing. And look, frankly, I don't care if you like the song or not, I really don't. It, that's not what it's about. Are, are what we sing, are the words that we sing, are they true? Because if I don't like a song, you know what? Guess what? Colin probably likes it. And if, and if Colin don't like it, you know, maybe Bree likes it. Because we don't just sing to the Lord, we sing for one another. If you ever watch me on a Sunday morning, you know, aside from my fist pumping and all of this aggressive worship style that I do, another thing that I often do is you'll, you'll see me like doing this number. Because look, worship isn't between me and God. It isn't. It's between me and God and all y'all. We worship God together. That's part of the reason we assemble here together. This isn't like a private, like, we don't have like little booze, like you get your God and I time. No, we are the church. We are the assembly, the people of God. And as Colossians said, we speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And so when I do this, like, peek over my head, and I see some of you from like a conservative background, and you're like doing this number, I'm like, my heart gets like rejoicing. Because I need to be reminded of what Jesus did on my behalf And I need you to help me And you need me to help me And you need the person that is sitting next to you to help you We come here to go to war, friends We come here to fight to believe Because our hearts are all riddled with unbelief And we need to kill that knucklehead And the way we do it is by remembering what Jesus had done on our behalf. And one of God's gracious gifts is, is he says to the church, "Search, sing. Sing. Sing because you're forgetful and sing because you need to be amazed freshly. So let's not be a bunch of people that come in here and fold our arms. Alejandra was off key. Wish Jared would slow down. That's not compelling to the watching world. Let's be a group of people who worship the Lord, who are infatuated with the work of Jesus Christ. And when people come in, they fall down on their face and they say, surely God is in this place. It's not about song selection. It's not about your comfort. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so church, will you get on your feet right now? and we are going to sing about the Savior, and we are going to sing to our Father, and we are going to sing to one another about the work of Jesus on behalf of sinners. Let's fight for faith in the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen.